Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Ryan Ray and Ben Samuels present Bring In The Closers, a podcast on making deals and doing business. She's probably more cultured than you are. Yeah, she is. (laughs) That's perfect, Black Cat, for Ben. And we're here again with another episode of Bring In The Closers. Ryan Ray with a Bond villain, Ben Samuels, today. Um... With a very creepy black cat staring me down. A it's really a, cute kitty. Yeah, yeah. You are the Bond villain we've all come to know and love or hate or whatever. Um, ben, it looks like you are in a very expansive Ben Samuels Enterprises office in Houston. Is that overlooking downtown? Um, is that is that what's that about forty thousand square feet you're sitting in there? No, it's just a green screen. I'm sitting in like a two by two room. It's really small, but it's got a really good green screen behind me. Don't worry about it. It's not important. How's it going, man? How was the weekend? It's going well. Weekend was good. Uh, pretty hectic. Um, I'm uh, in Houston actually uh, today, you know, as of yesterday, and going to be here for the week for Nate. So looking forward to that and uh, working on a number of different things. Had already had a couple of good meetings this morning, and so uh, getting off to a good start. But uh, yeah, so Nate is coming up. So we're recording. This is Monday. Nate's coming up on Wednesday. I guess the icebreaker is on Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday. And so we're, we're hurtling quickly to that. You know, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's going to be one of the things I've been thinking about is so just at a high level, you know, last year at the, um, at the NAPE summit in February, I think there was a pretty, pretty obvious tenor in the room of, of nervousness and not really sure what, you know, what to expect in 2019. And there was a lot of hesitance there. There, I think there was, a lot less deal flow, actual deals done at the conference than, than you know, usually and in years past. And, and But I think this year we may see a lot more optimism. I think there's a number of different things that are, there's kind of con- some conflicting market indicators that might lead, you know, the service companies this way and the operators another way, et cetera, whatever. We can get into that if we want. But it, it, just in general, I'm kind of curious what the read of the room is going to be uh, and kind of what the what the atmosphere is going to be like. What do you think? Yeah, I would have agreed agreed with that assessment before the coronavirus outbreak. Now all the doom and gloom out there, I'm wondering how that will, if that will put a damper or a spin, if you will, on the room because we're... I just, I just got to think that that's so temporary that we, you know, that that's, but yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, in the in the immediate few next weeks or whatever. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but the uh, you know the Chinese market was off some four hundred billion dollars for the the biggest you know biggest dip they've ever seen. Buy it, uh, buy yeah, it so now, you, buy it now, yeah, right, it, buy it yeah. now. Trade in all that Bitcoin That's, and buy it now. You will retire. You owe me a ten percent brokerage fee. Not really SEC. I'm joking, but Ben, you owe me the money. But buy it now. We'll retire tomorrow uh, by Friday you, probably. You're going to give me your Bitcoin to spend? Okay, that's fine. I can take that. 
You trade your Bitcoin. I, I'll make a prediction right now. Off, we can do this offline. Convert your Bitcoin <laughs> to actual dollars today, and then put that all in the Chinese market. And in two weeks, you will make exponentially more than you ever would have made in Bitcoin, guaranteed. If you're if if you're gonna let me uh, no risk hedge, I'll do it tomorrow. Oh yeah, I'm giving you no risk hedge. Uh, yeah, there it is. Here's me giving it to you. It's given right here through the podcast. No risk hedge. I'll give you a double Nate, no risk hedge. <laughs> Nate, this is being recorded. Yes, it, it is. It's on the record. And to you communists that run the SEC, this is all for entertainment purposes only. This is not stock advice. This is a joke. Yes, but Ben, really offline, we'll talk about that. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess think about this. If you're a seasoned negotiator, which folks at Napar, both sides, um, and you feel like you can use the coronavirus outbreak to, to talk about prices being down, the market's not optimistic, all these things, I think you're going to see some folks trying to go in there and get deals that were good deals but borderline deals for actually substantially lower because they can maybe turn those into great deals because they can say, listen, man, the price is going to go down. Citibank talks about a 10 to $20 devaluation of the price of oil, all this stuff. If you want to unload it now, here's your chance. Um, I think, and so if you if you have an asset that you're really trying to unload because you need cash, you might see some folks pressured into, I say pressured air quotes, but feel the pressure to unload it now before this thing, quote unquote, gets out of hand. Even though I don't think that's going to be what happens, but but if you're if you're strapped for cash and you're looking to unload, you know if the price was you know, if there was no corona outbreak, you might have got a good valuation, but now you might see a, a slightly decreased valuation on, on your property. So it's a buyer's market, I would say. So how perverse of it um, of it of me is it to expect that uh, Corona the Cerveza is going to find some some way to marketing ploy and, and profit off this whole? Didn't they I mean, change their yet, label or something? Didn't I see that, or was that, a, was that a Babylon B deal? I thought I saw they changed something. Not not to not to uh, like make fun of it, but like while it was going on, they redid their label or something. But that could have been that could have been a, just a joke. I don't know. I, I just saw it kind of flash through Twitter I or something. I have seen and, that, but maybe. And so they were like, not Corona. They were something else. I, I don't know, but yeah, so, I don't know. So I so I shouldn't be buying stock in the, in the beer. That's that's not the that's not the play here. Sell the beer stock, buy the Chinese market, all of it. Like buy it all. Call you up, say I want I want it all, I want it all. Kind of like a Soros move. Is there a, straight up gangster Soros ET- move. <laughs> is there a be uh, like a Beijing ETF equivalent? I mean, can you can you buy just I, I want exposure to the entire market? Does it work kind of the same way? You know, I've looked at some of their stuff before. They do have some similarities in their markets, obviously, but I'm not nearly well enough versed. But I, it, it's not as easy to go and buy. There's some there's some. I looked at it a while back because we we're looking at potentially helping some folks go IPO on the um, Hong Kong market, um, and so I kind of mm-hmm. looked at that. But I don't I don't remember the ins, ins and outs of it. But you can probably you know for for hey listen all these brokerage firms are talking about zero cost transactions now. Here's your chance. Get me out of Bitcoin into the Chinese stock market today. Or whatever their S and P is, I want it today. That's I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I, I I've just made you a multi 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 millionaire, maybe billionaire if you'd go in hard, but you won't, and you will rue the day you didn't. Oh, I mean, add it to the list. I mean, if I had taken your advice since day one, I mean, can you imagine how much money I'd have at my disposal right now? It's it's just it's an amazing number. I think you know it's are, are it's we gonna, are, are we going to talk about are, are we going to go there? Are we going there? Is that where we're going today? I, I don't really. We know have a guest coming to. on. I was gonna be nice <laughs> to the guest, but you're 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 steering the ship in a bad direction. I'm just saying right now with your purple pirate shirt on, you're steering us in a bad direction. You start off with the Doctor Evil. Um, what was the guy off the Bond villain? Um, 
Oh, oh, uh, oh, oh, shoot. I just I just totally blanked on that. Had the Dr. white cat. No, yeah, Dr. Uh, no. You're like the reverse okay. Dr. No. Instead of having the white, you've got the black cat, the black beard, the dark purple shirt on. It's um, it's very intimidating for, for a lesser man. Is that what you're trying to do? You're trying to alpha everyone at Nape? Is that is it like when I was describing people looking for low price deals? Is that what you're doing? Going to walk in with like some gold rings on? Blowfell. You know, maybe a little posse and just kind of walk Blofeld. up and like, hey, listen, if you want it, take it. Do it now. Do it. You know, is that is that, is that your is that what's going on here? Maybe it's just, I mean, Ryan, I don't know. Maybe it's just the commanding presence that I bring because I wouldn't think that purple's a very intimidating color. But I mean, hey, man, I'll take it. <laughs> if, it, if, it if it closes deals, I'm going to use it. <laughs> Well, it's the cat. Like you, you tried to bring the cat and put bad juju on this oh. podcast. Oh, I'm clearly, I'm clearly going to have the cat like in hand at the booth. I mean, yeah, it's I mean, your, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's your, absolutely. it's your comfort cat or whatever they call those things. Yes, my emotional support, my emotional support cat. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, Mr. Samuels, you can't bring the cat in. No, no, no. I, I need it. I need the cat. It's, it's, uh, it keeps me calm. I can't function. It's my that. therapy cat. It's part of the sales pitch. <laughs> So, Ben, how are you expecting Nate to go for you? You have a booth. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I know you put out some stuff on LinkedIn looking for some folks to come by and see you. So why don't you tell the folks a little bit more, if they're going to be listening to this and they'll be at Nate, you know, what they can expect from Source Rock Midstream booth number whatever it is. Yeah, actually, um, given the, the release date of this, I'll, I'll go ahead and just give you a you know, 30 second, maybe 60 second elevator speech on kind of what we're looking at. And, uh, you know, if anybody listens to this and wants to follow up after the, you know, afterwards, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation about it. Uh, Source Truck Midstream is a relatively new company that I founded back in September uh, with the with the intent to go out and acquire acreage and some strategic positions around the Permian Basin. We, we just took down our first asset as of about maybe six weeks ago, acquired about 1,500 acres of surface, no minerals, just surface, out by, if you guys are familiar with Ackerley, Texas. If you're not, just to orient the people listening, it's in the very northeastern corner of Martin County, um, equidistant actually in between La Mesa and Big Spring. It's right on 87. We've got about three miles of highway frontage, uh, you know, so easy access, uh, arguably some of the best position acreage that I've seen in, in quite some time. And we're, we're going to be looking to develop it with a number of different uh, midstream proposals. We're looking at everything from oil field housing to gathering systems to saltwater disposal wells, slurry injection wells, oil field, uh, oil field waste landfill, and a number of other proposals. Uh, but we're pretty open concept. So if, uh, if somebody's listening to this and has an outside-the-box idea or you know, one of the things that I would be really interested in is if somebody listening to this has some kind of new technology or, or something re- or revolving around the midstream space, but they're not able to find you know, someone to play ball with them to get proof of concept, because I know that's a big thing out here in the Permian. Uh, you know, I'd love to have a conversation. I've got a pretty healthy appetite for, for risk profile and, and have a you know, have some ideas on that kind of front myself. And so I'm, we're, this is a very, this is a different project than most. And, and I think I'm approaching it different than most people, you know, most uh, firms in my position would in the sense that we're looking to just be a, you know, be a royalty owner in most projects. And, you know, we're going to be investing alongside development partners when we find appropriate, but really this is going to be kind of a test case for, for buying an asset and, and bringing on development partners with the explicit understanding that we just want to be, you know, like I said, a, a royalty owner more than anything. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of a high level. I've got uh, a video uh, you know coming out here in the next couple of days. that will put that together and got some, uh, we've got some other data in the works and um, you know, I'm pretty excited about it. So, so for Nate specifically, in years past, you know, I, I've been uh, one to you know work the uh, the boot or sorry, work the uh, the floor pretty hard. And, you know, to go to one end to the other is a is a massive undertaking, and I'm usually kind of 
walking around. But uh, this year, I'm expecting to be at the booths and hopefully having some really good conversations with some groups that uh, that are looking to uh, you know, spend some capex this year and, and get some stuff done. We were talking. We've talked before about. Um how we judge conferences and mainly those conversations have been me and you attending them, walking them or, you know, being in media or whatever the case would be. This is the first time since I've known you that I can think of that you've been on the booth side. Maybe you've been to one. I can't remember, but give me walking into Nape. Um, I know you booth Nape before I believe, but what are, what are your expectations? Why? I know Nape has some distinct advantages, but just kind of, um, so we kind of do a, a recap of Nate ne- next week, maybe. Um, let's set, what are you hoping to achieve? What are some realistic things that you hope? I mean, obviously, you could have someone come in and develop the whole thing, and that's probably not likely. But what are the realistic expectations as someone who has a booth um, for folks who are listening, and, and why did you decide to actually booth at Nate this year? Yeah, th- so that's a, g- a great question. Uh, just for context, this is my third or fourth year in a row with a booth. Uh, the first three years w- was more mineral focused. I had, you know, uh, I was shopping a prospect or had put some some uh, leasehold together and was looking for a partner to to purchase or develop that. Uh, this is going to be the first year that it's a, a midstream uh, asset, and actually maybe the first year that this is an asset that I'm going to be shopping or you know uh, showcasing that is in house as opposed to trying to put a deal together you know with, with a third party. Um, in terms of what I'm expecting, you know, what I'm really looking for is some just to start some good conversations. Certainly, don't expect to have any proposals or anything concrete come out of it this week. Uh, but but I'd like to kind of plant the seed with some of these groups. And you know, this is like you know, like I said uh, a few minutes ago, you know, we just acquired this asset just about six weeks ago, and so I I doubt very many. For I mean, there, we've had a number of high level conversations with some groups, and the, so there is already some attention, but but I don't think it's uh, really you know out there broad scale that we're, that we've got this. And so I, and I think one of my other bets about Nape this year is I think there's going to be a more than in previous years at least there's going to be a focus on produce water. Water reuse and those kind of you know those kind of groups are going to have more of a presence than I think in years past, and so I'm looking to leverage that. Uh, but in addition to that, you know, given where we are logistically, uh, so within about a five or ten mile radius, we've got some something like thirty five or forty different operators that that um, that have a footprint. Uh, the you know the major uh, companies out there that are next to us are SM, Birch, Fang, uh, Callen, Chevron, Endeavor. You know, etc. And, and so, you know, also maybe having some conversations with with those groups about you know working some kind of deal, whether that be water uh, or infrastructure based, etc. Uh, but in terms of expectation, really just trying to kind of plant the seed and then fully expecting and hoping for for a significant amount of follow up you know, after the conference in, in the next. Uh, yeah, a couple months or so and trying to put these deals together. So to make sure I'm recapping here. You you would estimate a deal being done on the floor for what you're looking for as unlikely, but you would say a deal being done in the next few months because of an ape lead being a decent shot. Was that a good, good or uh, no, you, you fully expect to have a buyer or investor, whatever you call them from Nape. You're, you're like, and I'm just curious, like how would you parse the second part? Yeah. If, if I'm, if I've done my job correctly, my, I think the, "Quote unquote best case, I mean, best case scenario is obviously getting proposals done, right? right? But in terms of realistic best case scenario, you know, if I've done my job correctly, when I'm following up in the next few weeks, you know, the, the booth and, and the video and the proposal was attractive enough that, that I can have some conversations about this and, and move towards move towards proposals at that point. 
uh, not necessarily expecting anything to, to land in my lap, right? Never, never does. I'm, I'm expecting to, to have to work that hard. And, and you know, in, in our industry, just like anyone else, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, depending on what your role is, you know, the sales cycle, depending on industry is, what do they say? Like somewhere between five and 12 touches before something actually happens. And I'm expecting kind of this, the same thing, right? So, so touch one is the video, touch two, maybe a conversation with me at the booth, Touch three, you know, is a phone call or email from me the week um, the week after, and then kind of you know continuing that process until there's deals at the table. Um, you know, we're we've got a pretty good focus on, like I mentioned, I think I, I put out about six or seven different specific use cases. But I'm also expecting and hoping for some group to, uh, you know, some uh, somebody at the booth to see to see the video and have some completely outside the box idea that, you know, that I haven't even thought of yet. And, and uh, I'm hoping to, to have some of those conversations, just like, you know, you and I talk offline about some of these just kind of interesting technologies and different things that are happening in the space. Again, like I said, uh, a lot of them have are kind of in this weird dynamic of they've proven their technology, but at a small enough scale that it really is kind of irre- irrelevant to the field. And if, you know, if I can get in front of some groups that have some of those things and we can find a synergistic way to help them deploy that, you know, that technology actually on a larger footprint to, to gain some, some actual proof of concept, you know, that, that would be super attractive. Um, and, you know, yeah, see, so first out of the box idea would be to sell it now and invest it in the Chinese market. That's that's your first out of the box idea that you've gotten. So there's one. That's pre-nape, so it's going well. Um, but one of the things is on a serious note. So one of the hard parts about having a booth sometimes can be is is the pitch because not only are you trying to articulate what it is that you want from someone, you're trying to do it in a way, at least I think you are. Uh, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but you're trying to articulate your pitch that also incentivizes them to stay or to leave. And not, not to be rude, it's not that you want to talk to people, but you want to say something that pre-qualifies, if you will, the, uh, the person on the other side of the table so that they can understand if, if, if your booth is the right booth for them. And if not, it's, oh, okay, hey, thanks for stopping by, da-da-da, and they go on. Um, how much time do you spend in the pitch? Because what you said very open on in the podcast is kind of a, I don't know, a loose formation, but as you're getting ready for an ape, how much time do you spend in the pitch when, so if, if and not me, but someone comes up to your booth, they don't know who you are, to go, hey, Source Rock, what do you guys do? How much time do you spend on honing that pitch in? Because you are trying to be opportunistic, so you don't want to pigeonhole yourself for you, you know, the person might be a qualified uh, prospect, but also you don't want, um, you know, someone who's got, you know, something of no interest. So how do you, how much time you spend working on that to um, articulate that properly? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And actually, I mean, that's something that I would argue is kind of calculated on the fly, right? You know, it depends on, you know, so at times you may have, so at times in years past, I've had a half a dozen to 10 people kind of standing at the booth milling around. And so if you're talking to kind of like a, combined audience, so to speak, I'm going to be looking to kind of hit very high level data points to really with the goal of trying to weed that out, right? And so I'm saying things that are very specific so that if I'm hitting on something that someone standing there is not interested in, that's kind of their cue to move on. And so you kind of weed the conversation down with the goal of if I can, you know, in 30 seconds, if I'm talking to a, a, a group, quote unquote, of six people, and in 30 seconds, I can put off enough that that gets condensed down to three, then I can get a little bit more granular and talk about specifics. You know, Generally, I don't want to be talking. So it's really not a sales pitch in the sense that really my goal is kind of plant seeds and almost weed people out as opposed to attract attention, if that makes sense. So I'm saying things that give people that are listening to it more of a notion of, okay, this does or doesn't fit as opposed to, okay, this fits 
and do we have a deal here? And, you know, that being said, you know, it, and so that's like on day one, right? And generally what happens at NAEP, so there's Thursday, Friday are the conference, you know, uh, the, the booth days. Um, and so a lot of times what I found on Friday is people that I have t- spoken to on Thursday that indicated some interest, a lot of times they'll circle back, you know, one-on-one because it's a lot slower day. And then I can really get into, okay, so what do you guys do? Here's what we're really looking for. Where would you guys fit as opposed to having just these general conversations? Um, but again, you know, the, the model is, to plant the seed. So again, if I've done my job correctly, I'm not getting any offers or any proposals at the time. But when I follow up the next week, you know, via email or or phone call, if I have the person's business card that they gave to me at the booth, when I when I reapproach, they have a framework of what I was talking about in a context so that we can very quickly decide, okay, is there synergy here or not? Um, and that's you know that's really the goal is to really kind of plant the seeds in order to do follow up. Uh, you know, it, again, you know, talking to the people that maybe are, are first year, you know, booth uh, booth vendors at, at NAEP, you know, if you're if you're going into this expecting to, you know, sell your mineral prospect or get an operator to to invest in the non-op or or to do those things like at the booth, I, I would argue that maybe you want to reframe that a little bit in just kind of you're trying to plant the seed, you're trying to garner some interest so that when you follow up, the goal is to you know, so when you talk to them, they have an idea of what you were saying before. But yeah, no, that's ahead. great. That's great. So let me ask you about this because the booth, the conference, the booth that I've been in is you know we're selling a service, not necessarily an asset. So I'm just just curious here. One of the tactics that I've deployed before is trying to ensure that I control the small talk, and that allows me to choose which pitch I'm going to give them. So for instance, if you came up to a booth that's a Hey, uh, I look at your name tag. Hopefully, Nate does a good job at having the double sider so you can read it. Hey, Ben Samuels, Ryan Ray. What do you do? Now, I'm also looking for location of where your office at at the same time. And so um, so then you would say, well, I'm Ben Samuels, Source Rock Midstream. I'm out here in the Permian, da, da, da. Now, because you said that, I now have some data to understand how I'm going to pitch you. Whereas if you said, hey, I'm Ben Samuels from, you know, Maine. Okay, well, I don't really have, I don't know. At that point now, I know that I'm going to throw out the widest net possible because odds are I don't have anything for you. And so, but if you're in Midland, let's just use that example, and you work for Source Rock, I know who Source Rock was, I have a very specific pitch. If you're in San Antonio, it's going to be a little bit different, and depending on your title and all those things. So I kind of look for those things. I have a handful of pitches, um, and then I kind of look for those things to figure out which one of those I deploy. Do, do, is that, do you find that similar or different from your side of the space? Yeah. So, you know, when it's interesting because, and, and you know this, and, and I've, it's interesting because I feel this question a lot, and, and you and I have talked about this, but, you know, for, for me personally, I'm in so many different, so stepping away for a second for short, from Source Rock, I'm in so many different things that when I'm meeting someone brand new and they ask me the generic question of, what do you do? It's hard for me to really articulate that in, in one, like, short speech because it depends on who they are and what their context is, like how I'm going to answer the question. When ta- when someone is talking to me about Source Rock specifically, what what I, the verbiage that I use to very quickly get it out and kind of weed it out is, you know, Source Rock Midstream was, was founded recently in uh, with the model of acquiring acreage to bring on development partners to spend their own capex on development projects. And we want to do a ride along. We would like, we would prefer to be a royalty owner more than the asset owner. That two sentences gives someone, you know, gives someone on the other side of the table a very clear indication of right. is this if they're not, or not. Yeah, because if they're looking for certain things, you, you've you've given them the buzzwords they kind of know. Right. 
And, and so very quickly weeds them out. And so that, that leads the conversation. So to your point, absolutely. You want to put, again, you want to be able to frame the conversation your way. You want to be able to control the conversation in terms of, because, and it, it sounds, it, you know, it, it sounds however it sounds, but really at NAEP, you know, I'm not looking to have conversations with groups that are just trying to learn about what I'm doing, but there's nothing actionably that can be done, right? Because you can, you can kind of get down the rabbit hole a little bit. And, and that, uh, just, and just, so it's really, that real quick. The first time I went to Nate as a media member, Textual Guest Podcast, I went and I went around to Boost and I was just talking to them because I was there as media. And I, I found that once they found out I was media, they didn't want to talk to me. Like they weren't rude, but you could just tell. They're like, oh yeah, I got us, you know, whatever. And, and that's about four or five. Like, man, everyone's rude. And then I realized, oh, people are walking past because I'm standing here and they may, so I'm actually hindering their ability to, to, to close a deal. And so once I got that, I was like, okay, well, duh. And so then I'd go by really quick. Hey, da, 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 you know, or, or, or avoid them or, or whatever. But, but, but that's it. Another thing I think that, that I've learned from being on the, the, the aisle side, not the booth side is that I will also try to, I will also try to control the conversation then too, because if I can walk up to you and say, Hey, Ben Samuels, what, I'm Ryan Ray. What do you do? You have to give me whatever pitch that you give me immediately. And you can't pitch me what you think I want to hear. And I like hearing those pitches because if we're being honest, unless you've got it honed in for everyone, those are very hard. So I think that kind of gets missed in the conference mix is that you want to control the, the small talk, the initial conversation as you know, not, not being forceful, but as much as you can, because you can guide things to where you want them to go. Whereas if they control it, if they walk up to your booth and like, Hey, I'm so-and-so, so-and-so, this is what I do. What do you do? You're like, Oh God, well, I don't, I'm trying, I can't look at your tag too much. I can't, I can't stall. I can't make a stupid joke. And then, and then you're stuck. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. And this, I don't know if I, this might be an unfair assessment, but I'm curious how you, what you, what your action would be. If I told you that I thought that a lion's share of the operators in the room or, you know, the lion's share of the booths in the room, really, it was just to kind of show off what they have as opposed to like actionably talk about deal flow. You know, I find that a lot of times when you're, you know, even when you're walking by, uh, the guys that are seemingly trying to you know, garner interest for a capital raise for a project, a lot of them are not really interested in talking about the specifics. They're just like, you know, this is a, this is what we have. This is a piece of paper. Here's where it is. If you want to have a conversation, follow up with me. And so it's almost like a it's like a live sales funnel almost, as opposed to wanting to like talk about it. It's it's kind of what I'm talking about, but it, but almost like in a very opaque and and in my opinion, not a very not a very well thought out model and just like, Hey, this is what we have. Here's the map, you know, and not showing off, but, it, but it, there seems to be a lack of attention, a lack of focus on actually wanting to tell you what they're doing as opposed and it's, I mean, it's the same thing when you, I guess, when you have phone calls, I would just think that if you've got a captive audience at the booth, you, you would want to get into more, Again, like I said, you'd want to weed out the room and, and really get into some good conversation. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think I've thought about that some. I think my, um, I'm just guessing here, my guesses would be one, they're at NAEP because they want the visibility of being at NAEP. So they've got an asset. They're talking to Ben Samuels. They fully expect Ben Samuels to close. And so they're not really looking to close on this deal, right? They, you know, they talk to the Samuels group or whatever, and, you know, they, 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 they kind of have to go through. But they're going to have more deals in the future. They want to pick up those business cards. They can kind of source through them. Maybe there's a new uh, group out there buying stuff they haven't met. So I, I think some of it, some of those guys are there mainly for exposure. And they, or the other thing is they've got the booth and, um, 
and they're pre-qualifying you based upon you know how you walk up, what you say, the things you say, and they kind of feel like they can make a good good read on you. And there, there's probably a lot of other variables, but um, you know it, it's you know, I always like to use the free market as the analogy because it's the only thing that kind of describes the stuff. You just can't presume that everyone in the room is there for the same reason, right? So everyone has a booth isn't necessarily wanting to make a deal. And so, but that's the job. If you're in the aisle, that's your job is to figure out who you know. Because if you walk up to the guy and he blows you off, it's okay. Well then. If you go hound him for the deal, he's probably not going to give you a good price. You know, <laughs> he's probably going to throw out some crazy number to run you away, and then you're, you're mad. So you got to find the folks who are willing to deal. Um, and that's one thing we talked about. I think on here before. I know offline is that that's why I love negotiations more than sales because in negotiations you usually can come together with people who want to work together, whereas in sales you're trying to convince someone. So if you're going to Nate trying to sell someone and you're on the aisle, not on the booth. If you're in the aisle and you're trying to sell to someone, that's a that's a bad spot to be in because um, they, they probably aren't interested. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of the, uh, yeah, if you're trying to sell from the aisle side of the booth, I think that that's really, I mean, candidly, I think that's, that's like bordering on disrespectful in the sense that if you're, you know, if you're trying to solicit sales on the aisle side and talking to the person at the booth, unless the unless the booth has kind of indicated that they want right, that, right? right? But even I, if you have I, I even if you have money to, though, I'm saying even, even if you have money to buy and they don't, they're acting like they're not interested. You're trying to convince them to work with you. You're trying to sell them to work with you. It's like, well, well they've 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 they've, that, they've yeah. That's not the forum to do that, right? right? I mean, exactly. there, there's you know, like if you want to take a business card and follow up next week, great. Right. But 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 if if you're taking the the guy that run you know, the guy or woman that's running the booth, if you're taking their time on like selling you their mm. selling them your service, like that's right. I I think I would I would argue that uh, that so if I were running the booth and that happened, that would stick in my mind as like they've got another like another hurdle to cross mm. once we actually do connect because because of that dynamic, you know, but. Uh, but yeah, that, that may be specific to me. So for but. all the listeners, please go pitch your service to Ben Samuels at Source Rock Midstream, booth number, whatever. So, so, so it's- <laughs> Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager. Today, I want to talk about... Pete, heads up. We've been hacked. What happened? My password is my birthday. Everyone knows that. February 14th. Why would everyone... I don't get how these people figure this stuff out. I think I do. Have you ever updated it? Yes, I changed it to Valentine's Day. Okay, we're protected with connection security services. You just got to be more careful, Pete. Okay, yep. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. <laughs> no, but it's, it's different because this, this, this year I'm, I'm kind of actively soliciting that, right? Right. Because in, in years past, uh, you know, if so, so in years past when I've, when I've been showing a mineral prospect, if like a drilling contractor came up to me and want, you know, wanted to talk about, hey, you know, when you guys are drilling, you know, punching your next frack, you know, we should have a conversation. That's, that's not germane to what I'm doing. If, you know, if a development partner or like a, you know, mystery group comes to me, uh, you know, on Thursday and wants to have an in-depth conversation about, you know, they happen to have a project just offset for me and they want to, they want to dive in. I mean, that's, that's a conversation that while it may not be the best use of time right then, and I'll probably cut that conversation at some point and try to table it for the following week. I, I'm, you know, I, I want to be soliciting those conversations because, you know, and again, th- I mean, think about it this way. If I'm talking, uh, like if you and I are talking and, and you own a, uh, uh, you know, an oil field waste landfill engineering firm, right? And, and you and I are talking at the booth and, and people start to ca- kind of gather around because of the conversation we're having, that's super valuable, even though I'm not necessarily addressing everyone. If I, you know, if, if there's some attention being, uh, Brought to the fact that there's an actual conversation going on, I'm, you know that's that's great. Uh, but in terms of you know that's not, but that's, that's again that's not the goal, right? 
And up next, Ben, we didn't even tease this, but we have a guest. And this is a guest I've been kind of excited to get on for quite some time since she's been booked. It's Donna Cowdery, who is the VP of Operations for 1031 Ventures. Donna, how is it going today? Very well. How are y'all? Very good. Um, before we kind of get into the weeds and all this, most folks probably have an idea what 1031 stands for, but if they don't, give us kind of the high-level pitch of what, what a 1031 exchange is and kind of what you guys do with it, and then we'll, we'll dive in from there. So we are a qualified intermediary. If you own a piece of investment property, actually a piece of real property that's held for investment purposes for use in a trader business, and you are selling that property... We can help you defer your taxes, not have to pay those capital gains tax for the IRS. Um, Within six months, you're going to reinvest those funds into a new piece of property. And it's and it's a little more simple than that, but that's what you guys are there for. Do I mean a little bit more complicated on that? There's certain kinds of stuff, but at the high level, that is it, and that's. You know, we talk about people paying taxes and, you know, uh, you know, President Trump or whoever it is, whatever person and how they're paying so little taxes. One of the methods they're using is this 1031 exchange, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've often said that the IRS is not very good stewards with our money, so why pay them any more than we have to? If we can do a 1031 exchange and defer those taxes, then that's the way to go. Okay, so let's kind of walk through here just at a, at a high level. Um, you said real property. So we talk on the show, um, we were just talking about a land deal that Ben has. We also talk about things like minerals. Um, do, do minerals qualify for the 1031 exchange? Absolutely. They are real property, um, and so they can be exchanged for all other kinds of real property. A lot of people don't realize that you could sell a piece of raw land and buy a mineral interest um, or a royalty interest. And that qualifies. Those are both like kind with each other, both considered real property. So I'm curious, you know, someone that, uh, that may have some disposable income at their, uh, you know, at their discretion or, or, you know, kind of already maybe be in the real estate and or you know, mineral uh, in- investment space. Um, how does someone you know, that, that hasn't done this before, what are some of the things that you might be looking for, whether that be asset specific that may be, you know, eas- more easily tr- uh, transferred or, or I guess uh, utilized by the, the 1031 structure. Um, how, how would you how would you kind of advise someone looking to to step into this space at, at kind of first blush? Um, are, are there any like pre qualifications or, or what? Just in general, what, what should we be looking for or looking at? The key thing is it has to be held for investment purposes. Um, it cannot be personal property, so uh, you can't exchange your house. So the first thing I would ask people is, what are you selling? You know, is it held for investment purposes for use in a trader business, not for personal use? Um, That answer is yes. Then, okay, now you're selling it. What's your purchase price? Um, And do you have anything, idea what you want to buy? Because you've got to have your replacement property lined out. So I always ask them, do they have any ideas of what they want to buy? Um, and, And can advise them on the things that qualify. You know, what's real property, uh, what the definition is of real property, uh, where they are, and um, how they want to do that. And we can absolutely diversify it. Uh, They can absolutely take cash out front if they need to. Um, You know, if they have some things they want to pay off and go ahead and pay taxes on what they receive, they can absolutely do that. We just need to know all those things up front. So maybe without getting too far into the weeds, I'm curious if you can kind of give us a... uh, uh, some kind of context in terms of the you know the qualification process. I know there, I believe there is a is it a forty five day 
window where you have identified a property and you need to close, or, you know, or you, I guess you have 45 days to identify a property. Can you kind of walk us through how the, you know, the, the pre, uh, kind of the first steps of this process work? Yes. Yeah, so you, you're exactly right. You have 45 days from your sale to identify what you plan to buy. That's one reason one of my first questions is, do you have any idea what you want to buy? Um, because that 45 days comes fast. Um, and you have 45 days to identify, which means you have to send me a shopping list saying, I want to buy um, a raw land located in this area. And you have to be specific on that. Um, and you actually have 180 days from the close date to buy it. So both dates are calculated from your close date. So both are hard dates. There's no weekend add-ons or anything like that. That's 180 days from your close date. Now, in terms in terms of having to uh, you uh, qualify or identify a property that you're interested in, uh, it sounds as though, and you, please correct me if I if I'm mistaken. It's, it sounds as though you would need to have you would need to have identified the fact that you want to 1031 a property prior to the sale of that property, or can you sell a property that you know, and then realize, oh, I'd like to 1031 this and then enter into the qualification stage? Or what is like what, what is the timing of the asset uh, you know sale versus versus identifying the next yeah you absolutely you absolutely have to know what that you're gonna do an exchange before you close. Because the rules mm -hmm. say that you cannot be in receipt of the funds. If you touch the money from the sale, then it's taxable. So you have to have a qualified intermediary that has an account set up to hold the funds. So you've got to know up front. Your contract has to have 1031 language in it. Um, and at closing, the funds come directly to the qualified intermediary. So before you ever close, you need to know you're going to do a 1031. And once the funds hit the 1031, um, you can't have the funds out until there's certain times that you can get the funds out. So you can't put it in and 10 days later say, I changed my mind. I don't want to do an exchange. Your first exit out of the exchange is day 45. So you've got to know you want to do an exchange and you've got to be committed to doing it. So you mentioned the deferment of taxes there. Um, and so that's one of the reasons, maybe the main reason people do this. Um, one of the things that I'm not entirely clear on, let's say that, you know, I have a, a piece of property or whatever, and I, I sell it, and I 1031 it, go through all the processes. Um, and then I keep 1031ing it until I die. Upon death, I have to pay the taxes. Is that going to be taxed at the future tax rate, or will it be taxed at the, at the rate that it was at the time I instituted the 1031 exchange? You actually get a step up in basis. So yeah, it's deferred until the taxes are paid. It's rolled over to the new property. So your tax rate at the at the time of your sale is rolled over to the new property, but it can change from short term to long term uh, tax rate. So um, it, it's cheaper the longer you hold it. Absolutely. So you get a step up in your you. basis. Is there any Oh, I'll say real quick on that. From a tax standpoint, obviously, this isn't tax advice. We're not CPAs. We're not lawyers. You know, da da da. da. It's entertainment purpose only. But just, is there any is there any reason that you say other than you might want the cash on hand? Is there any tax drawback that you might go? You know what? Uh, Ten thirty warning. This this isn't a bad time. Or, or sometimes people come to you and go. You know what? Ten thirty one isn't right for you because of um, something like that. It seems like a no brainer. But is there might there might be a case where you go. You know what? This isn't the time for you. Yeah, I mean the only tax drawback. Uh, there's not tax drawbacks. The only drawback to doing an exchange is if you do need the cash. And if you put it into an exchange, I always tell people, be committed to a full 180 days of not touching that money, whether you find something or not, just because you're you're in, I refer to an exchange like getting on a highway. 
you enter that highway at your close date. And the exits off that highway are very limited. Day 45, if you don't identify, you get your funds back. If you identify, you're committed for that full 180 days. You can't change your mind midstream and say, I just want the cash back because it's going to be taxable. And there's certain laws that say we can't send the funds back to you directly unless you followed the, the 1031 rules of purchasing what you identified or the expiration of the 180th day. So the only drawback to a 1031 is you're locked in for 180 days. Um, you're not going to get the funds out of there. And if you, if for some reason you can't get the, you, you can't close on the property you wanted to, whatever happens, you, you, you and you have to get the money back uh, because the 1031 didn't work out. Is there any kind of penalty for not uh, acquiring the asset, even though, you, so you say you're going to do it, but you, you, you put the good, good faith effort out there and for whatever reason you couldn't do it. Is there a penalty for not, um, not actually executing the 1031 exchange? Well, uh, the QI should not send the funds back until day 181, and then you pay the taxes on it. Whatever right. you touch, you pay taxes so, on so, it. So no, no additional, though? No, nothing additional? You just, you just, you're just without the money no. for the time period? Right. Okay. Right. You just don't have the benefit. You don't have the money's going to stay in that QI account until the end of the exchange. There are very specific circumstances of what, how you can get the money out in between what we call a G6 circumstance. Um, this is, there's conditions beyond your control. Um, for instance, we had somebody that identified a whole group of houses for sale and then later found out that the guy who had listed them for sale had committed fraud and he actually went to jail for it. And those houses were not even his to list. That's a G6 circumstance. <laughs> and we returned the funds. Yeah. So there's specific things that have to happen. But most of the time, I just tell people, assume your funds are tied up for 180 days. Yeah, so that's actually kind of leads into a, a, maybe a two-part question. Um, part A uh, is, you know, so, okay, so I, I've identified that, I, that I, you know, I'm going to be selling a property. I, I, I have, you know, I'm going to be getting into a 1031 uh, after the sale. I, you know, I identify, let's make the math easy. I've identified five properties. Um, just so happens that in my due diligence on those five properties, all five of those are, are sold to, to third parties. And, and so I've, uh, you know, and, and I know in the 45 days that you can put, uh, you continue to put things on the list. Let's say that, you know, I identify something and for whatever reason, I'm not able to get a deal done. I mean, we're, we're in good faith negotiation, but that 180 day mark hits and, and I'm, and, and we don't have a contract signed on paper, but there's some good faith effort being done. Is, a, is the 181st day a hard stop that if, if we don't have a, a deal done, I'm, I'm on the hook for the tax liability? Or are there maybe extensions if you've identified something and you're still trying to put the deal together? Now, unfortunately, you have to finally close on your replacement property within 180 days. So day 181, it's now a taxable event. You're going to have to pay the taxes on the funds. Uh, there is no leniency. The only leniency there is is if there's a federally declared disaster um, and that gives you an extension of your time. And the property you're buying or the exchanger themselves can be in that federally declared disaster area. And that's the only extension. Otherwise, 180 days and you're done. Regardless of the negotiations. Yeah. So um, it sounds like 45 and 180 are two, are two of the dates. Um, and obviously there's, there's tax um, things going through there's 
Walk us through maybe some of the misconceptions that you guys get apart from maybe that the hard deadlines or soft deadlines and, and those things, but some of the other misconceptions that you guys deal with because um, it is something that's used by uh, people regularly, but it's not talked about unless you listen to like a real estate investing podcast or something like that. Uh, this show, you don't hear it a lot. So maybe what are some of the phone calls you guys get or, or things and people like, hey, I want to do this. You're like, no, you can't. Or, oh, yes, you can. And then um, you're able to help people through that process because they just weren't educated enough. Yeah, one of the main things we get is, um, oh, I identified condo number 14 in this condo unit, and I really want to buy condo number 15. Well, the rules state that you can't change your identification after the 45th day, and she wasn't buying what she identified. She identified condo number 14, not condo number 15. So um, that's a, I'm sorry, that's not what she identified. You either buy 14 or you can't buy one at all. <laughs> um, you cannot change. You cannot um, call on day 50 and say, oh, that property fell through. I'm going to identify a different one. You are locked into that identification letter. It is a, it is set in stone, and you cannot buy anything that is not on your identification letter, and you cannot change it after day 45. So you mentioned condos so there, which is a – sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was say, you mentioned condos there, which is an interesting asset class because you think condo 14, condo 15, it's the same condo building. Why does it matter? What about something like um, mobile homes? Because those are, uh, are those 1031, if they're on land, if they're off land, never, does it never ma- uh, matter in a park? Those are some different situations. Um, what about mobile homes? Would they qualify for 1031? Yeah, that's a, mobile homes don't qualify anymore because you can move them. They are mobile. Uh, we used to be able to do exchanges on aircraft and cars and mobile homes and uh, artwork and things like that. But now the rule says that if you can touch it, feel it, move it, um, you cannot exchange it. That becomes personal property and it is not exchangeable. So a mobile home would not qualify because you can disconnect it from the base and move it on. And, and real, real quick, let me just ask you this probably silly question, but make sure we're clear. These are federal guidelines. So this is there any state-by-state state implications, or is this the same if you listen in Texas or in Massachusetts? For so any, there are any some state-by-state state, um, things that happen. For instance, a pipeline in Texas is real property, and a pipeline in Oklahoma is personal property. So you have to look at the state regulations as well as the federal um, on what property you're trying to buy one of the things that, that i was curious about you know, just one of the other segments of of, uh, of this dynamic um is i guess i would qualify it as either vacation homes or second homes now you mentioned you, you can't 1031 personal property what, what are you know are there baseline thresholds that you know identify whether this is a vacation home and and, and you know an income producing uh, property that, that i can 1031 or is it you know if i'm using it for personal for personal use on any level, then it's a personal use and I cannot 1031 in or out of it. Yeah, the regulations state on a vacation home that you cannot use it more than six days out of the year for the first two years for personal use. So you could buy a vacation home, list it for rental, um, and actually show rental income on it, but you can't use it for personal use more than six days out of the first two years. So um, total or per year? Very careful. Um, per year. So 12 days total over two years? Yes. Okay. But the rules say that you can you can use it for personal use if you're making improvements on it while you're there. 
So, you know, it's kind of a gray area. Um, we try not to mess around with the gray areas. We stick pretty close to the rules. Um, and that's up to you and your accountant on how you're going to justify how many times you've used it. We aren't going to give you tax advice on that. We're going to tell you what the 1031 regulations say, that you've got to use it for investment purposes. And y'all can work out how you want to do that. But vacation homes are kind of tricky on that. Okay. So you're listing it for rental and show rental income at work. Okay, so let's um, let's circle back around. You mentioned the pipeline thing, which is interesting, um, and you talked about minerals earlier. So if you go through, there's several classes in the mineral space that we deal with, um, and one of them we haven't talked about was uh, if you're investing as like a, a non-operator. So uh, you got a non-op deal, and you're putting some money. Um, so you're not the technical operator because you're non-operator, but you do have some tied up with the asset. Is that 1031 or no 1031? As long as you're buying an interest in the lease itself, it's, it qualifies. Um, long-term lease, I said lease. Lease has to be a long-term lease, which is a 30-year or more, or the option to become a perpetual lease for it to qualify under uh, 1031 regulations. So one of the things, and uh, that, that let's talk a little bit about you know, uh, more what you guys do because you, you're, you're answering these questions, and these are it's, it's impressive because we just for the listeners' benefit, we had no script, we're just firing from the hip here, and you were nailing all these questions. You obviously answer these questions on a daily basis, and probably some a lot more weird than these. Um, so give me maybe the the weirdest example of a 1031 exchange that you've ever done for someone who goes, okay, you've talked about everything, but the one thing I want to hear about is there some kind of weird current at least because you said they've they changed, but a, we, uh, a weird current 1031 exchange that maybe we haven't covered um, that, that you say, you know what, every now and then this comes across my desk. Yeah, one of the main things you have to be careful of about asset classes is oil and gas is like kind with ranch land, but they are depreciated differently. Um, I kind of refer to it, it's like a big umbrella, and underneath that umbrella of real property are several different asset classes. And when you jump asset classes. I'm going to sell an interest in an oil and gas lease and I'm going to go buy a rental home in College Station, Texas. You're jumping asset classes and they're depreciated differently. And the IRS can make you go back and recapture depreciation you have taken. That's a very, very important thing because it can come back to bite you. So you need to make sure you're finding out from your CPA what your recapture would be if you do jump asset classes. Although they're like kinds, they're depreciated differently. Uh, We do that a lot. A lot of people do that, but we always caution them. You make sure you're talking to your CPA and know what the implications are. The other thing, if you don't want to use your 1031 funds for drilling purposes on oil and gas, because you cannot claim both the intangible drilling costs, the IDCs, and do a 1031. And the IDCs are of more benefit to you than the 1031. So you don't want to... We advise people, people go, okay, I'm going to buy an interest in this and we're going to drill all these wells. And I said, you don't want to, you don't want to use any 1031 funds for drilling. Um, that's very important. You want to be able to claim your IDCs. They're much more benefits than the 1031. And if you're going to do that, pay your taxes and, and don't do a 1031. Okay, so I know we're getting ready up against the clock here, so a couple quick quick hitters for you. Um, folks have been listening, and we talked about CPAs. You said your 1031 exchange platform. What do you guys – What do you guys? Um, what's your core functions? Because you said you're, you're referring them to a CPA, so you're not a CPA. And then you don't have to give your fee schedule out, but, but people are going, okay, wow, I'd really like to work with someone like this. Um, you know, How are these guys getting paid on the transaction? So kind of walk uh, – well, you don't have to give it. You can say whatever you want to, but just kind of at a high level, how do you fit into this 1031 exchange process? We are the qualified intermediary, and to do an exchange, 
of 1031 and defer the taxes, you must have a qualified intermediary. We work with the bank. We hold the funds for you. We facilitate all the paperwork. We make sure the buy and sell happen on a regular basis. And we work on a flat fee. Depending upon your purchase price, we work on a flat fee. That's how we are paid. Okay. And then will you guys uh, be at NAEP? We were talking about NAEP earlier. Will you be at NAEP? Yes, we will. We will be at NAEP. A booth or just walking? No, we have a booth. Um, I can't tell you the booth number, but look us up. We're 1031 Ventures, um, and we will be there Thursday and Friday. Okay, and for folks who miss you at NAEP or don't make it to NAEP, where else can they connect with you guys at? Social media, website, uh, maybe future conferences or things like that? Yeah, we're 1031ventures.com. has my phone number. It's my direct cell phone number, and I answer it 99% of the time. Um, so you could call me anytime. We are out of South Lake, Texas. This is where our main headquarters is. Uh, we work all over the state um, and, and states beyond. So just give us a call, and we'd be happy to handle your exchange for you. Okay, well, this has been wonderful. Um, I know we, again, no, no prep here. We just kind of hit you with them, and you, you had an answer for everything we threw at you. Probably probably just didn't get weird enough, Ben. Maybe we should have asked some more, more bizarre questions, but uh, we appreciate your time. Yeah, and we will uh, look forward to seeing you at NAEP here in just a few days. So thank you again, and we'll link to your website in the show notes. Appreciate it, Donna. Thank, thank you. you for the time. Thanks. So, Ben, are you ready to 1031 Source Rock today? Hey, if I get a qual or if I get a good enough offer, sure, why not? I'm game. <laughs> sure. Are you willing to put anything's up your possible, house? Ryan? Ryan? <laughs> anything no, is possible. How's it ineligible? Well, how's it ineligible? But you know, it's it's funny. It's one of those things where if you know having someone working with someone, Donna, listen, this isn't a paid ad or not like that. She first time I spoke to her was right then. Having someone like that that you can, and I don't know how many of your calls she would answer before she said you got to pay me. <laughs> I don't want to speak for Donna, but having someone in your tool chest like that that can advise you on investments, especially if you're a high net worth individual, it's worth its weight in gold. It really is because she started talking about you know changing assets and depreciating, and because listen, I got a CPA and I like her. She's a nice lady, but you know having someone who specializes thinking this way is probably a huge benefit. You know, I assume I know the answer, but I guess one of the things that we didn't uh, ask about for, to, to get clarity on, um, you know, I'm assuming both the property that you're selling and the property that you're acquiring have to be domestic, but I don't necessarily know that to be 100%. So I'm curious if there's any international uh, play here, but uh, maybe we can get uh, Donna on a follow-up at some point to, to clarify that, or we can uh, ping her offline and come back to, uh, but but no, I think yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, having somebody that that is you know, their business is to defer tax liability and, and to facilitate transactions and, and clearly you know, in, you know, in their prep. And, you know, I don't think we did it on the intro, but just to give some color, uh, 1031 Ventures over their history has done over a billion dollars in, in transactions. So, I mean, they're, they're, they're clearly in, in the middle of a significant amount of deal flow. And, and so having the ear of somebody like that you know, is, is a truly <laughs> invaluable resource if you can leverage correctly. Uh, exactly. And, you know, international, that's interesting. We didn't bring that up. I didn't think about it. Um, that's my fault there. Um, I don't know. It's such I mean, a... You're, you are the international guru. I mean, you're going from Gambia to South Africa to Australia to China to Nicaragua. Did I miss any? To somewhere else. Spain here shortly, if we can ever actually get on the same page. I don't know if you're actually, like, you know, going to do that. Maybe some country that ends with a word called Stan, um, TBD, 
So uh, yeah, I, I would I would just submit um, just for you know before you go buying property internationally, you need to talk to more than just Donna <laughs> because that is that is a horse of a different color and that is um, a lot of international attorneys and advice that is probably going to frustrate you. So if you are uber wealthy and listen to this podcast, A, call me and bin up, but B, before you go buying property in um, South Africa or anywhere, I would, because um, uh, I don't even think I don't even think you can actually own the property in China if I if I remember correctly. So keep there's there's, there's certain I mean, laws I kind of, like that. I kind of was, I mean, I kind of assume that like six or seven of our listeners are the guys that are sitting on the stage at Shark Tank. Is that? I mean, I assume that they're listening to this every week. No, they're talking to me offline about your performance every week. So I didn't want I didn't want to bring it up. They're very disappointed in you. As long as they're talking about me and not you, I think I'm winning. So they're talking to me about you. So however you want to however you want to take that. So Ben. Don't let, don't let the, don't facts. the facts. Don't let the facts. Ben, don't let the facts get in the way. Nape is coming up just a few days. You were in your McMansion in Houston. Um, it must be nice to just show your wealth. Um, you know, so, anyways. Again, uh, green screen. Green screen. Green yeah, screen. Yeah. Uh-huh. I saw the tree blow. I saw the cloud move in the back, so you can't fool me. I told you it's a really, it's a really <laughs> good green screen. I told you. It's, just, it's a really good <laughs> All right. What booth number are you going to be at? Two four five two. Two one four of the other five I was gonna, two. Go ahead. One of the things I was going to mention when uh, when we were talking about that earlier is that in the, the last couple of years I've had a pretty amazing quote unquote amazing run of bad luck in the sense that so two years ago they I guess they didn't get enough booths or didn't get nearly as many as they thought and so they they condensed the floor and where I ended up being was literally in the back corner of the convention floor in a corner facing one of the bathrooms. Oh. And like, so I, you know. That's a lot of foot so traffic that, there, just not the right kind. Yeah, <laughs> accurate. Yeah, people had somewhere to go when I saw them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but and, and last year I, I uh, it was a little bit better. This year I'm hoping that they don't do the same thing, but I think we're going to be in a really good spot. We're we're next to a couple of other pretty big players, and so I'm hoping I'm assuming that they won't get the the. Uh, 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 can I say the shaft on, on this podcast? Sure. Surely they're not going to get the shaft, and so I'm going to ride along with them. But uh, nah, it's it's going to be good. Uh, we're actually actually, you know what? We're uh, this year we're right next to one of the beverage stations, and so I oh, think we're there in a you good go. Position. There you go. <laughs> I, if I I might stop by to bring some traffic by your booth. So uh, did you notice Ryan how he said a couple of other really big players? Yeah, other like other that, really big players. Like me, sly little me, and a few there. others. Yep. You know, me and a if few I, of the other listen, elite. Listen, if I can be graced by the presence of the Texas Oil and Gas podcast, God, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take that leverage as much as I can. So please, actually, if you could do me a favor, and if you can tell me when you're gonna come by, I'll like make an announcement. Like I'll like get one of those megaphones and like make an announcement that you're gonna be there. And so because pe- people are gonna want to shake your hand, they're gonna, what is it? Uh, they're gonna want to shake a baby and kiss a hand. The baby the baby won't be there. She'll be at the house. But uh, I will. You know, we're not gonna talk about the last time we went to Nate together. We're not gonna talk about that. So, anyways, Ben. It was good to talk to you once again, and uh, unfortunately, I will see you a couple times this week, so there's that to look forward to. Yay! Um, please Woo. give Donna a shout. She is doing God's work. Anytime you're keeping money out of the hands of the government, that should be, you should be knighted or, you know, given the Medal of Honor or whatever, whatever, whatever. Congressional Medal of Freedom. Yeah, yeah. She should be given like six of those. So, Donna, um, keep doing what you do. Listeners, we will be back next week. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete! 
bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm an IT manager slash superhero. Pete, bad news. Uh, what happened? I put a very expensive latte on top of my car, drove off, and it spilled. It's bad. How's that my problem? Oh, my laptop was up there, too. <laughs> uh, okay, that's why we use connection services to manage our cloud. Everything's backed up. I can access your stuff remotely. You won't miss a meeting. I really wanted that latte, Pete. For hardware, software, support, and empathy. For Pete's sake, connect with connection.